Recently, I did a search on Google. The goal was to figure out what is the leading cause of death in America? I wanted to figure out when it's across gender, men and women, and ethnic lines, what is the leading cause of death? And what the Google told me, according to the CDC, is it's heart disease, cardiovascular disease. The challenge is that every 36 seconds or little over every minute, someone dies of heart disease. Think about that. You can set a clock to it if you wanted to. Every minute, every 30 plus seconds, someone dies of heart disease. About 655 Americans die from heart disease each year. That's one in every four deaths in America are because of heart disease, cardiovascular disease. Heart disease costs the United States about $219 billion each year from 2014 to 2015. One year, $219 billion. This is the cost of healthcare services, medicines, the loss of productivity in the workplace. But every time this alarm goes off, every minute that it ticks and the alarm rings, two people have passed with heart disease. And maybe you even begin to get anxious about this alarm going off, wondering when it's going to happen, knowing that someone may pass. But the truth of the matter is most of us live with no real concern about heart disease. We eat what we want. We do what we want. We exercise if we want or don't want. And yet every minute, every roughly 30 seconds, somebody passes because of heart disease. I think many times, even spiritually speaking, the heart for us is just something we assume will function no matter what. We don't have concern. We don't spend time thinking and stressing about how we're taking care of our heart. But we know for those of us who have had heart issues... It is crucial that what we consume, how we exercise and live out our life, and the way we manage our stress has a direct impact on the health and vitality of our heart. So let me say this. Welcome to the Upside Down. Welcome to the week seven, our sixth uh, beatitude, the conversation that Jesus has of his most popular teaching on a mountainside where he reintroduces the values of the kingdom of God. And he invites everyone into what he calls a blessed life or a life of happiness. We've unpacked this description of happiness as an understanding of a life that is blessed equals happy, that we understand that happy means that happiness is found in a true relationship with Jesus. That's where it's found. And so every time we heard the word blessed, we're understanding that we are happy when we are rooted in the values and the way of the kingdom of God. Unpacking this series, going through these beatitudes, the attitudes that we should live out in this kingdom, 
we've inserted this graphic to kind of express the progression of how these Beatitudes begin, right? As we started this journey, we said, this is where we all begin. That we are poor in spirit, truly spiritually bankrupt before God. And in knowing that, there is a place that we must begin. We were confronted with the awakening that our sin would cause us to mourn. Our broken relationship before God actually began to put us in a posture where we could understand that our strength should be under control, a posture of meekness. We continue to understand what it means to be merciful. And today we want to unpack what it means to be pure in heart, to be pure in heart. So let's look at our verse today, if we can, and we'll take this journey that we call upside down. It's different. It's flipped than how the world would describe how we want to live our life. That happiness by the world is not described as a life centered in Jesus, but is a life that's centered in ourselves. And this conflict that happens between our kingdom and God's kingdom is one that Jesus is trying to confront to invite us to a better way of living. And friends, there's an urgency that he'll speak with. Here's what it says, Matthew chapter five, in verse eight, we begin and it says this, blessed are the pure in heart for they will see God. Let's read it again. Let it soak for a moment. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. This message is a message of concern and urgency. And Jesus is now using a beatitude that really doesn't speak of a need, but is a declarative statement that is a truth. We do have a need in God, but when we are pure in heart, we see God. The concern, though, comes with our heart in and of itself. It's in a critical condition. There is change that needs to be made. And Jesus is alluding to that our hearts are impure. And he says happiness is found in a pure heart. And the question becomes, what does it mean to be pure in heart? What does that mean? It's important to understand that in Jesus's day, when conversation of purity or cleanliness came up, that we understood it's rooted in the understanding of the Old Testament. That ceremonial cleansing and purification rites were often played out through sacrifice and through ritual so that we would be made right before God. And so Jesus is understanding that their practice of being made right before God is lived out in a in a system of sacrifices. Jesus, knowing that he will be the one true sacrifice to take the place of all sacrifices, begins to speak about this need of purity that we would have before God. But when we're talking about a purity of heart, we must be reminded that humanity is standing in front of a holy and blameless God. God is our standard. God is the life giver. God is the one who has given us this moment and we cannot become pure on our own. Our sin requires a sacrifice. The sacrifice is brought through our savior, Jesus. Jesus's sacrifice leads us to a life of forgiveness of our sins, a life everlasting by being made pure through him. So when Jesus says, Uh, Blessed are the pure in heart. There are two thoughts that are being expressed of purity. One, the first is this. There is an inner moral purity that we are called to have. An inner moral purity. This is an idea not of your own purity, of just being clean or looking pure on the outside, but an internal transformation. The reality is, 
in Jesus's day, just as in our day, we can spend a lot of time making sure that our cleanliness, our purification, our outward appearance before the world looks right and miss the brokenness in our own hearts, miss our own depravity towards sin in our own lives. And so Jesus, first and foremost, is speaking to this inner moral purity. If you read a a passage like Psalm 24, verses 3 and 4, it's a great verse about who's the kind of person that can approach God. It's somebody with a pure heart. And we live in a world that spends so much time prepping the outside. We have to focus on the inward transformation that God is calling us to because the world is wasting away. The second is this. It's single-mindedness. Inner moral purity and a single-mindedness. To be utterly sincere, free from the tyranny of a divided self, a divided self that pursues itself or a divided self that surrenders to God, that we would be single-minded, one focus, one direction. That's why Jesus says, uh, seek first the kingdom of God. What he's really saying is seek only the kingdom of God. The reality is for many of us, we can be double-minded. We can say we love God, but live a life that chases after self. We can present ourselves as somebody who knows God, but internally know that our strength, our surrender, our leaning into God is waning. And so Jesus is saying two things in one thought. That God wants us to be pure of heart, transformed from the inside out, and that our mind should be singly focused on God. This takes time. This takes growth. So when you look at it, you begin to realize that what God is talking about is this heart, this identity of who we are, fully focused, that God may transform us, and we might totally pursue his will and his way, which means we are surrendered to God, we submit to God, and we are shaped by God in all that we do. This is one of the most difficult pieces to really understand for us because the truth of the matter is we are pulled back and forth in the world that we now live in. We know that we want to do what God wants us to do, but oftentimes we chase what is more convenient and is better for ourselves in that circumstance. Here's the idea I think we need to understand. Here's what one commentator begins to explain when he talks about the inner state of humanity. He says this, in a psychological sense, the seat of humanity's collective energies, the focus of the personal life, the seat of the rational as well as the emotional and the volitional elements of human life, hence that wherein lies the moral and religious condition of man. What what, what does that mean, right? What does that mean about our heart? Here's what he's saying. Our heart is the truest portion of ourselves where we feel, think, and act out our identity. Here's what we need to understand. That it's not just the way we feel, but it's a connection with how we think. That our heart change and head knowledge work together. That when we are transformed by the will of God and we begin to think as Jesus would think, there is a union of heart change and head knowledge that begins to work inside of us through the power of the Holy Spirit so that we would be surrendered to God, submitting to God, and shaped by God from the very core of who we are. 
The people of Israel knew this calling very, very well. One of their prophets, the prophet Jeremiah, he said it this way. When speaking about the heart, it was a warning. He said this, the heart is deceitful above all things and beyond a cure. Who can understand it? I, the Lord, search the heart and examine the mind to reward each person according to their conduct, according to what their deeds deserve. So Jeremiah speaks to the nation of Israel. And when speaking about the core of who they are, he connects both the heart change and the head knowledge. And he warns us that if left up to ourselves, our hearts will be deceitful, meaning they will pursue themselves a selfishness, a pride, a ego, a pursuit of personal want will try and overcome the will and the way that God desires for each of us. But think about this for a moment. The heart is deceitful. That statement in and of itself seems upside down to the world where we are because most of us think we are pretty good people. We've just got a couple things that maybe need to be tweaked. Oh, I didn't mean that. I didn't intend that. (laughs) But when scripture speaks to our hearts and our very nature, without being surrendered before God or submitted to God's will, or shaped by God's design, we will pursue ourselves above all else. But the good news is this. Though our hearts are impure, though they are deceitful, God desires that we have pure hearts. Even though our hearts are impure, God can give us a new heart. Anyone can have a pure heart through Jesus. No matter their past or their present, their habits or hangups, We can have a pure heart through Jesus. So here's the question. If our hearts are impure and we want to have a pure heart, how do the desires of our heart get filtered? How do the desires of our hearts get filtered? The truth is our hearts are in critical condition and they are prone to heart disease. They have to be transformed. Things have to change. But the very gospel of humanity says that, or the gospel of Jesus speaks to humanity that we all have sinned. We all need transformation. From the inside out, we are dead in our sins. We are held captive by our cravings and we need saving from this disease of sin and corruption. This is why the work of Jesus dying on the cross, being buried resurrecting from the dead is so crucial to our faith because the death of Jesus becomes the sacrifice of all sacrifices. It takes place of everything that was proceeding before saying that this is now the one sacrifice where all of humanity can find forgiveness. Here's what we need. Our hearts need to be purified in Jesus. We cannot be pure without Jesus. We can be better. We can tweak a few things, but we cannot be pure without the work of Jesus in our lives. You know, if you look through scripture, God is promising a new heart to all of us. In different ways, in Jeremiah 24, 7, uh, the people of God are promised that they will receive a new heart. Ezekiel chapter 11, verse 19, uh, the, the prophet there tells the people that God will take our heart of stone and remove it from our flesh and replace it with a heart of flesh that beats for God. 
Second Corinthians uh, writes specifically about us becoming a new creation, a transformation of the inside out. And if anyone is, in, anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. The old has gone. The new is here. That's what we long for, isn't it? That if our hearts are broken, if we find ourselves in sin and we all sin, we need a new heart from God. Now, let me pause for a moment. What does it mean to have a pure heart? Having a pure heart does not mean that you will never sin again. I wish it did, but it doesn't. Having a pure heart doesn't mean that you'll never have a negative thought. Uh, you'll never have a rush of unsolicited anger. Uh, having a pure heart doesn't mean that you'll never feel the pain of rejection or be tempted in any way. No, but having a pure heart does mean that you are surrendered to Jesus Jesus is now the center of your life. A pure heart means that you are submitting your life to the way of Jesus, that you have a deep focus and a desire that every action, every relationship, every circumstance be impacted for God, for the glory of God. Having a pure heart means that you are being shaped by Jesus, meaning the everyday reflection of your life is expressing a heart transformed by God from the inside out. Maybe you ask, well, how then, how then do I love the Lord my God? How do we love God with a broken heart or an impure heart, knowing that our heart is deceitful? Daily, we have to begin to be the kind of people that will surrender our lives, allow God to work in those moments. And when God confronts whether it be sin or wants to call us to an action or an expression of love in the world around us, that we would be the kind of people that would say yes. But think about this. Pay attention to these verses. Mark chapter 7, verse 20 says this, what comes out of the person is what defiles them. For it is from within, out of a person's heart, that evil thoughts come. Luke says it this way, a good man brings out the good stored up in his heart and an evil man brings out the evil stored up his heart for out of the out of for the mouth speaks of what the heart is full of understand this that when Jesus teaches about a right way before God and a right way before humanity Jesus says our hearts may must change that what we know to be true about God in this world must radically find root in our lives that his will and his way transforms us from the inside out. So I've said, hey, it's, it's, this is critical. This is crucial that we understand this. So let me just ask you a real simple question. If you had a heart attack, would you know it? That seems like a stupid question, doesn't it? I mean, most of us think if we're going to have a heart attack, it's going to, we're going to grab our chest and we're going to hit the floor and we're going to know instantly, this is, my heart is having an issue. But it wasn't that way for me. A few years ago, I was going through a very incredible time of stress and had great frustration. And I remember this night that I, I went to bed and I just thought, I'm just going to sleep this off. But I could already feel that my anxiety was building. My stress was taking over me. And I, I needed, I needed to get this weight off my chest. So I go to bed, try and sleep it off. And all of a sudden, a few hours later, I wake up wide awake. 
not being able to sleep, I get out of bed and I go downstairs and I sit in my favorite recliner and I turn on the TV and spend some time trying to pray, spend some time trying to go to sleep, but I'm just restless. This weight on my chest, this anxiety in my shoulders. I'm not, I'm not feeling well, but I'm not feeling super bad. So I just keep going. Matter of fact, I get up the next morning, I, I get showered, I get dressed, I go to work. I walk into the office and I work a couple hours and this, this weight on my chest just keeps building. And so I I go into a friend's office who's had a little bit of a medical background. I said, how do you know if you've got an issue with your heart? He says, what, describe to me what's, what's going on. I said, well, I feel all sorts of anxiety. I'm, I'm a little bit clammy and I, I've had this weight on my chest. And he says, has it been going on for a while? I said, yeah, a little bit, but I'm, I seem to be working okay. I've gotten up and around. Everything's going. He says, well, after lunch, if it hasn't subsided, let me just encourage you to go to a doctor and get checked. So sure enough, lunch comes. I, I call my wife. I encourage her to meet me at the doctor. And we stop at the doctor and they put some sort of electrodes on me and they take my blood pressure. And next thing I know, they, they say, hey, we need your wife to drive you to the emergency department. You need to go directly there. You need to tell them you're having chest pains and they'll take care of you. So they hand the keys to my wife. Uh, we take our stuff. We go out to the vehicle we begin to drive directly to the emergency department and I walk in directly to the counter and I say, hello, I'm having chest pains. Now, mind you, it's not cramping me. I'm not on the ground in great pain, but I can tell that there's this pressure on my chest. I get the royal treatment. They come out with a wheelchair. They take me into a room. They get me changed. They begin to do all sorts of tests. They begin to try and figure out what's going on with me. And I end up ultimately having a procedure to find out if there are any blockages in my heart. The truth of the matter is this. I was having a cardiac event. That's what they called it. And then when I didn't seem to get that nervous about it, they said, no, a cardiac event means you've had a heart attack. And it shocked me. I was working hard. I was focused. I was trying to get things done. But in a moment of entering into a hospital with a little bit of anxiety and a whole lot of stress, I had to surrender to their care. I had to submit my life to the next things that they did. And then I needed to begin to shape my life differently which has led to several health decisions. And while I am not the perfect picture of health, I am healthier and on a journey towards a life that is more like what God's intended for me physically. Why does this matter? This matters because I think most of us in our Christian walk, as long as we can mostly do what God wants for us, we don't sweat the small things and oftentimes the purity of our hearts is being fought for in even the small things. The moments of purity in the things that we look at. The moments of purity in the things that we listen to. The, the moments of purity in the way that we talk to one another. The moments of purity when we make decisions in a boardroom or in our office. The moments of purity in the way that we treat one another. And our hearts are prone to the impurity. They are prone to the disease. And the question will be for us, as Christ followers, will we surrender our lives fully to Jesus? Will we submit to his will in our everyday life? And will we allow God to shape us in our world so that he 
may bring the health and healing to us and the world around us. You know, the writer in Hebrews, he shares very quickly just this thought that we should be able to draw near to God with a sincere and pure heart. Sincere and pure is the same kind of idea. Genuinely single-minded in our intention of moral purity before God. He wants us to have a full assurance that only comes through our faith in Jesus, having our hearts purified by the blood that Jesus shed on the cross and being expressed in our surrender to him. So let's read this verse again. Matthew 5, verse 8. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. And we've spent a lot of time on the purity of heart that no one has a pure heart and everyone needs transformed. Literally, everyone needs a transplant. That our heart needs to be replaced by the heart of God. But what does it mean they will see God? Uh, this is not like a, a, a Bigfoot or Elvis or Tupac sighting. That's not what the author is trying to say. But when Jesus says they will see God, he begins to talk about more than just eternity. I mean, most of us just kind of default that, okay, if we have a pure heart, one day we're going to be in heaven with God. And while that application is true, Jesus is also speaking to the here and now, that we might see the will and way of God in our world. See, it's the pure in heart, cleansed from their sin, by God's grace and God's work, that they begin to see God's fingerprints in our lives. The ones who have been cleansed by God, uh, continually cleansed by God, knowing that they will sin and God will work in their lives, they begin to recognize that God is working in them and around them. But when we're cleansed, purified, we have an ability to see God. We have an ability to see God, the one who is holy and blameless, at work in the world around us. Through faith in Jesus, we begin to see the world as God sees the world. We see God's work. We see God's holiness. We see God begin to work in everyday moments of our lives. Through faith in Jesus, we begin to see the work of God and join the work of God around us. Meaning that once our hearts begin to be purified, we don't just sit back and say, thank you, God, for changing me but we begin to see where God would want us to step out and step in to bring his love because we recognize that those are the moments where God shows up. Jesus is inviting us to engage the world as he does. Jesus is inviting us to look at the everyday moments, the people around us, the circumstances before us and recognize how God might use us in this world. With a pure heart, surrendered to Jesus, submitted to Jesus, and shaped by Jesus, we begin to understand this truth. Happy are those whose heart is changed by Jesus, for they know they will know God. The truth is that we think we see God, maybe in the innocence of a child's face or the beauty of a sunset. But only the, the pure in heart see the purified work of Jesus. Only the ones 
who have been purified by God can see the everyday hand of God moving through humanity, redeeming, transforming, and reconciling the world back to him. Think about it for a moment. Every minute, at least two people die of heart disease. If we were to ask where your heart is today, spiritually speaking, is it in a critical condition? Do you find yourself in a posture before God, surrendered before God, submitting to God, being shaped by God? Sure, we make mistakes, but God is at the center of our lives, working to change and transform us from the inside out. Or is our life left up to ourselves? Pursuing a life of self, our own cravings, the impurity of this world. If we're not careful, we may miss this moment to surrender to God our own heart. What if today, what if today we began to recognize the areas of our life that are impure to allow God to transform us from the inside out so that our only focus would be him and him alone? Let's move to our time of response.